Now, I don't know about uh, the kids in the room. I think probably most of the kids would agree that they're excited about being back at school. Uh, If nothing else, to reconnect with old friends. But I guarantee you every parent in this room is excited that kids are back in school. But there's an excitement that comes, I don't care if you like school or not, just going back, getting new clothes, getting a new teacher, getting a new classroom, getting, uh, you know, new dreams, new opportunities, new lunchbox, new pencils. All those elements kind of come into play, new clothes. Those elements come into play that just create this energy, this groundswell of excitement until about February or March or somewhere in there, all of a sudden, if we were to survey the same people that are elated and excited about school, they look at school now as this dread, as when is it going to be over? When is spring break going to get here? And then when spring break comes, then it's just, if you, especially if you're a senior, you get senioritis about that time, and you just check out. Uh, everything's over uh, at that point, and it's just trying to survive to get through. Teachers, if you're a teacher in this room, you get a little cranky at home, and everybody has to turn on a little bit more grace at home. You know, this is one thing I've learned about, whether it's school or whatever it is in life, that it is starting something is 100% more fun, easier than it is finishing something. I don't know how it is for you, but when I start something, there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot of adrenaline, there's a newness, a freshness, an anticipation out there. Finishing it, though, that's a different story. It takes a whole lot of motivation, a whole lot of discipline, a whole lot of focus uh, to kind of, you start a diet. Okay, you're really excited about starting the diet. Well, kind of excited. I mean, you have to or whatever the case may be. You start the diet, but is it easy to finish, to reach those goals? No. That's why diets fail so much of the time. It requires a lifestyle uh, change. Marathon. You start running a marathon. It's easy in the beginning. The gun goes off. All the fans are, are lining the streets and... You get out there about 13 miles into it, about 15, 16. You hit several walls along the way, and finishing is never as easy. It's easy to start a remodel job. It's not so easy to finish the remodel job. You, you, you go out and you buy a new car, and it's zero down, zero payments for six months. Really easy to go buy that car at that point. Well, when the, when the payment comes in, by that time, the new car smell's gone. You've got a couple of Walmart dings in it. Uh, that's when somebody banged their, their carts into your, into your car at Walmart or something like that. Um, you have all these experiences that, that happen. In the, somebody dumps a milkshake in your seat or something like that. That happened in, in, in a car that I had. It was about a, a week old. And that just reminds you that moth and rust doth corrupt, all right? So it just messes all that stuff that you pour your time and attention into. But it's a lot harder to pay the payments when the payment book comes due. It's easy to, get, to start a degree. It's not so easy to finish that degree. It's easy to start a job. It's not easy to finish that job. It's easy to get married. It's not as easy to stay married. There's a lot of things that in life that when we get started on something, there's a lot of momentum going into it. But how do you stay in that? I want you to think for a moment. I want to engage your brain, and I want you to think for a moment. What is something in your life that God has called you to, that you feel that you're supposed to be a part of, that you have started something, I don't know, that it is taking all of you to finish, all right? And maybe you've already stopped it. But what is that one thing? Are you ready? Start. Think about it. Write it down. 
want you to chew on that for the remainder of our time together today. Because there are all manner of things that we can think of. In fact, Bill Heibel shared in the Global Leadership Summit a few years ago about how it's really easy to start something and it's really easy to, to get to the finish line on something when you see the fans and you see the finish line. But it's in that valley in between, between the receiving the project, the degree, the, the, the title deed, the whatever, the celebration is on the backside. And starting, it's a lot of fun, but somehow there's a big lag. We lose momentum, we lose vision, we lose the ideas that, that, that started us all two and a half years ago. We began to see something happening at Grace Point Church, experiencing something. Some of you all were a part of experiencing it. Whenever it was first brought to my attention, really by our, our late uh, director of preschool ministries, and uh, her Sarah Williams, and she brought to my attention that our preschool classrooms were absolutely chock-a-block full and we needed to do something about it. And once I started looking at the numbers, began to see that, I thought, yes, we, we have a real issue on our hand. Well, fast forward, I'm not going to give you the whole story because there's been a lot involved in that, but every category of our church in, in some capacity, uh, whether it is preschool, children, right on up the, right up on the food chain, has experienced this amazing sense of squeeze. Thus, you see what's happening out uh, to, to uh, your, your left and my right as we... A year ago, maybe 11 months ago, uh, the lead design execution team presented something to our deacons, to, to our trustees, that that we came with a with a with a unanimous momentum forward with this idea of expanding more than doubling our campus uh, into the future to develop for pay, space for people. So that was kind of uh, one of the big projects that was put before us, and it was one of those that is I avoided. To be honest with you, I can't. I don't enjoy building buildings. That's not one of the things that I, I enjoy at all. It's just one of the things that, if we were going to have space for everyone, it was a necessary part for us as a church. And so, as we move forward, this little building that was supposed to be for 500 was at capacity, and as you see now, it's it, it's really at capacity. In fact, let me just give you an example. Just in one area of our children's ministry, last Sunday, we have our children that start off in the loft. And they were in a room, uh, 70 in the first service, 90 in the second service, in a room that was designed for 45. What's the problem with that? The problem with that is no longer are you teaching, now you are just organizing chaos. Now you're just trying to make sure that none of the kids escape. And we've had issues with that. So at this point, now we have real issues on our hands because you didn't probably bring your kids here to be organized chaos. You brought them here for spiritual growth and development. Well, so we want to make a commitment to that, so therefore space is required for that. So here we launched into this 11 months ago that we were going to be a part of expanding our campus, more than doubling the size. 44,500 square feet would be added. It would be a three-year commitment that we'd ask our members to make. And here we are today, 11 months later. How are we doing? How's it going? We started something. There was a lot of momentum. There's a lot of unanimous decisions and prayer and, and vision casting and listening and all of that. Where are you at today in that? Now, that's just one area. What about your life? We've got all these, these personal processes that we're going through. But what about corporately as a church? And what I hope to do in this message today is I want to affirm you along the way. 
I want to affirm those of you who made that commitment 11 months ago, said, hey, I'm in this. I'm about developing for the future. I'm about developing for my own children. I'm about developing for my grandchildren. And I want to be a part of this campaign. I want to affirm you in that. Also, I want to encourage those in this room today. Those who are in this room that need to be encouraged and say, you know what, I've kind of fallen off. I'm not doing what I should. I'm not doing what I committed. I've kind of reprioritized, and I didn't prioritize in the same way, and so forth. I also want to enlist. There's a whole bunch more families that have joined our church in the past 11 months that are calling Grace Point home, and here we are. I want to enlist you to be a part of of this emphasis, thus this, this big colossal, or not colossal, but this big humongous uh, uh, puzzle piece behind me uh, that this speaks to the fact that it takes all of our families all committing and every family that commits is giving a, a puzzle piece to come and put on the puzzle to help make it happen. Now, all that is an introduction. I want you to take your Bibles and go to the table of contents, all right? You'll see where I'm coming at this today. You think, where are we going, Mike? Uh, go to the table of contents. And look on the very front pages of your Bible and find the book in the Old Testament. It's the second smallest book in the Old Testament. Second only to Obadiah is the shortest. And you're going to find the book of Haggai, all right? Find the book of Haggai. We're going to continue our study in the majoring on the minors. And this is one of those minor prophets that's out there that we don't need to skip over because I think he has a very relevant message for us today as a church as well as for you as an individual. Because God has called everyone in this room individually to something. What is it? God has called us corporately to something. What is it? Whether it's the Bomber people and reaching the Bomber people in the next 10 years to see uh, this unknown, many of you don't even know who they are and where they live. How are we going to reach them? What about the orphan needs of Northwest Arkansas? Those are some goals that we have as a church corporately. We don't want to lose vision of that. It's easy to get into a pep rally mode and say, yeah, I'm all for that. Let's be behind that. And boy, when we get to the end and we get to the finish line and it happens, yeah, I was a part of that. But really, were we? Or did we get lost in the valley and the in-between? Did we lose our momentum? Because if we are not all in on the big task that God has given our church, then we won't get it done. We've got to all be in. Your, your, your family, your task that God has given your family, that God has given you as an individual, if your family isn't in on it, all in on it, it won't happen. I don't care what it is. As simple as, as, as just balancing your checkbook, as simple as becoming a debt-free family. If that's what God has called your family to, to being debt-free, you know what? It's not going to happen unless the whole family is all in. What's He called you to? And I just want to light a fire under us today to finish the task that God has called us to. Because what happens here in the book of Haggai, we don't know much about Haggai. We only have about a window of knowledge on him of about 15 weeks. That's about it. We don't know anything before. We don't know anything after. We know his name means festival. So I don't know if that means his parents were hippies and they were partiers or something like that and they named him festival or, or, or what, but how he got his name. But he writes this letter to the high priest Joshua, to the governor Zerubbabel, and to what he calls three different times the remnant. 
He calls them the remnant because they are the people who remain. Those are the people who came back. Those are the Israelites who survived this horrible exile from the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And they survived it. And now they came back. The remnant came back to reestablish Israel back in the promised land. And so we have this short window of conversation with Haggai. That's it. He's here and he's gone. And he's off, he's off the scene and we don't see him again. From August to December 520 B.C. is when we see the letter, letters, if you will, messages from Haggai to the people. So it's a very short window of opportunity. What happened is Cyrus the Great had given the Israelites freedom to go back to their homeland. They had given them freedom, a free pass, get out of jail free kind of card. So they go back to their homeland to reestablish their home, to rebuild the temple, to reestablish worship. And then, not only that, this is how great Cyrus was. He gave them all the plunder that they had taken from the temple. So here's all the plunder that's remaining. Sorry, some pieces are broken, some pieces are missing. But here's all the plunder. Here's your get-out-of-jail-free card. Now go back to your land and rebuild your lives. This was an exciting time for the people of Israel, as you could only imagine. Get out of jail, free card, plunder, all the stuff, go back home, reestablishing their motherland. It was a beautiful moment after 70 years of captivity. Ezra gives us the historical account of this, and you can read Ezra on your own. But Zechariah and Haggai were contemporaries. They're both prophets, and, and, and they went back and they started rebuilding the temple, and the people were very committed to the Lord. Very committed to to the Lord. They love God. And then in Ezra chapter 3, verse 11, this is what it says. The Lord is good. This is what the people were saying. His love for Israel is eternal. Now, can you imagine in that 70-year period how much they felt God has abandoned us? God, we're sorry. God, would you ever forgive us? Would you ever take us back home? Do you still love us, God? And this is the first words. In their first worship experience, if you will. It said, everyone shouted with all their might, praising the Lord, because the work on the foundation of the temple, listen to this, had been started. Beautiful. What an amazing day. The temple's been started. The foundation has been laid. There it is. Now we're going forward. Pause. 16, 17. 18, up to 19 years later. Remember what I said in the beginning? It's always easier to start something than it is to finish something. 19 years later, the temple is still not rebuilt. 16, 17, 18, 19, so the scholars debate between the two. Somewhere in that period of time, for 16 to 19 years, it's remained dormant. They didn't do anything else. They got an altar built, they got the foundation built, and they stopped. Now, if you might look out here, our ground has been moving upward, if you, if you, if you haven't noticed. Uh, thir- uh, 1,200 dump loads of truck uh, of red dirt has come in. 198,000 cubic feet of dirt has already come in. They're getting ready to pour the foundation. We're getting ready to see still start coming out of the ground. It's an exciting time for our church. Now, it would be as ludicrous as a, for us today to stop and just let it be there. And just have a nice piece of red dirt out there. We wouldn't hear of it. But that's exactly what the people of Israel did. How is it that when God gives you this great inspirational moment, 
How is it that you can have this great hoorah pep rally experience? How is it that you can start a marriage off with such excitement and zeal? How is it that you can go out and you can you go on, you're going to say you're going to go on a mission trip? Whatever it is that God has called you to, and all of a sudden, over time, it just falls off the radar. That your marriage or your job or your church or what God has called you or me or any of us to, what happens? Why is it so important that we rally around? And make sure we don't lose focus of the vision that God has called us to. Why is it important that we finish the task that God has called us to? Hopefully you found Haggai. Let's look at Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. Let's get the context. In the second year of Darius the king. So Cyrus the Great is now dead. They've waited so long. Cyrus has given them the get out of jail free, the plunder from the temple, all that. They're all back in there. The foundation has been laid. But now Cyrus isn't even around. Darius is now king. In the second year of Darius, the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So here's this message that comes out to them. And I want us to, I want to give you three reasons why whatever it is that God calls you to in your life, and I don't know what it is. Three reasons why you've got to finish the task. Whatever it is that He's called you to, you've got to finish the task. Number one, it's because finishing the task centers your life. All right? It centers your life. I want to give you a life principle that I hope that you will Print up, put on a poster, put it on your computer, put it on your dash of your car, put it on your mirror in your, in your bathroom, put it wherever it is that you can remember this life principle. All right? Are you ready for it? Never doubt in the dark what God has revealed in the light. Never doubt in the dark what God has revealed in the light. So many people follow God's will as long as the feeling is there. As long as they, it works out for them. As long as it's comfortable for them. As long as it's exciting for them. As long as Mo is on their side. If Mo is never not on their side, momentum is never on their side, then they start backing down. They start excusing out as if, well, maybe God has changed his mind kind of thing. If God called you to Grace Point Church, you're called to Grace Point Church through hell or high water. Until God calls you somewhere else, clearly calls you somewhere else. God called you to this marriage. God called you to that job. It's not just whenever it feels good. Don't doubt in the dark what God has revealed in the light. And something happened, and we don't know what flipped the switch on the people of Israel, but after the foundation was built and the altar was put in place and the worship began on the hill, that everything stopped for 16 to 19 years. We don't know what happened. But something happened, and they got off center. And what Haggai comes to them, and he says in verse 5, he says it again in verse 7. So it's certainly the call to attention here. He says this, consider your ways. Consider your ways. I want everyone in this room to think deeply about what, what, what it is that's unfinished in your life. Is it a broken relationship that you know that you need to go back and repair, but, 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 but you're not doing it? Is it a commitment that you've made 
that you're just not following through. I want to encourage you to get in a quiet spot, to get God's Word, to get a prayer journal, to get a prayer partner, and consider your ways. Literally, in the Hebrew, it says to set your heart on your ways. To set your heart on your ways. To think deeply. What has God called me to? Am I in a dark moment? Am I in a valley? Am I in a, am I in a pit of despair? Does that mean God's will change? Does that mean that it doesn't mean that, that God wants me to quit that and not fulfill that? Not necessarily. Never doubt in the dark what God has revealed to you in the light. What Haggai does throughout this little short two-chapter letter, this, this address, four, four addresses to the people, is he calls them back to God. That's why I'm saying what you do in those dark, despairing moments of your life, whenever you know what God's called you to, but you can't see any light towards that, you can't see any hope towards that, but you know God's called you there, instead of altering your course, buckle down, stay in there, consider your ways, center your life, and keep going where God called you. Because it's real easy to quit when the going gets tough. And what he does is he calls them back to a very centered relationship on God. A beautiful fact that's worth noting. In the book of Haggai, Haggai uses the most holy name for God, the word Yahweh. In fact, it's so holy the Hebrews wouldn't even use it. They would use the word Adonai. He uses it 34 times in 38 verses. He is calling them back to a very centered relationship with God Almighty. This is what happens when the darkness creeps in around us. This is what happens whenever, whenever pressure becomes too great. The commitment becomes, begins to wane. The excitement's over. The party's over. And, and the, you go from a hero to a zero. All of a sudden, you begin to question God. I can tell you about our first days of moving to Africa. And I can tell you dark days immediately, like a light turning on and turning off in our life. And Lori and I's marriage began to be on the rocks. We were living in a foreign country. We went through a coup in the country. It was absolute disaster. And in that moment, there were many times that we wanted to quit. And God kept calling us back to one statement veteran missionaries had told us. There will be times in the field, Mike, that the only thing that will keep you there was the call of God. You better make sure you're called by God. What happens whenever we start getting in those dark moments as we move away from God? We get misaligned. There are three misalignments that they go through. Number one is deception. If you look at verse 2, you see the deception beginning to take place. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, God knows what they're saying. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord, the temple, was the center point, the, the town square, the statement in the Hebrew people that said God is the center of our life. That's, that's what it was. And whenever they started backing away from the very center of their, of their spiritual faith development, then it was a statement to God that we're not committed as much as we once were. It's not time for us to build. You know what that's called? That's called rationalization. 
The reason they went back, the reason Cyrus the Great let them go back, the reason Cyrus the Great gave them the spoils of the temple was so they could rebuild the temple. And now all of a sudden in their minds, they start rationing away what God has called them to and what they're supposed to be about. It's really easy when the marriage gets tough to walk away from the marriage, to throw it in as a piece of junk, and to start all over. Deception. Start rationalizing. Number two, detours. Detours will happen. What happens to the people of Israel? They went from rebuilding the temple of God to rebuilding their own homes. Look at with me at verse 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came by the, the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is this the time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses? Why the house, why this house lies in ruins? Do you see what they've done? They have made their life the center their life the focus and not rebuilding the the center of their faith development. It was more important that they had their paneled homes than that, that they fulfilled God's call on their life. Materialism begins to slip in. And all of a sudden, I don't have the resources for the work of God because I've got the resources devoted to too many other things. We like our back porch. We like our backyard. We spent money putting landscape. We got more money in our backyard than we do in our front yard. Uh, we extended our patio recently, or about a year, maybe two years ago. We've done some things like that because we enjoy sitting on our back porch, drinking coffee, reading. That's where, that's a major place for us. In fact, we were thinking about a year ago about maybe putting a pool in. There's something that we thought about, talked about. It didn't last long. It wasn't on the table long. But we talked about it. What about putting a pool in? That'd be great put a pool in. I'm thinking cost and time and da-da-da. And, and, but I'm also thinking about the enjoyment, the time with the kids. And, and all of a sudden, we were realizing as a, as a family what we were about to go through as a church. And all of a sudden, that putting the pool in became second because we knew that we were going to have to have money for, for this development. So I don't know about what, what it is for your family and my family and our families together, but I, I really want to encourage you to think about how much time and attention and money do I spend putting into myself when all of a sudden I'm neglecting what God has called me to. Distractions is another thing. And think about the distractions that come about in, 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 our, in our world. Look at verse 6. He says, You have sown much and harvested little. They've been out there doing a whole lot of work and getting very little. You eat, but you're never, you never have enough. Uh, you drink, but you're never filled. You're clothed, you clothe yourself, but no, one is, uh, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does not put them into a bag with holes. But they not put them into a bag with holes. What, what, a, what a life that we live sometimes. I don't know about you, but I feel this way much of the time. I never can get enough. There's always more to get out there. I'm always pushing for more, driving for more. Interesting study found that the rise in per capita consumption in America in the last 20 years has increased 45%. Now think about that. 
We've increased our consumption in 20 years, 45%, but we have decreased in the quality of life measured by the, by the index of social health by a negative 51%. We have more, but we're enjoying less. What's wrong with that? We become distracted. The people of Israel are out spending their money, doing their stuff, doing their time, and they're never getting enough. They're never quite satisfied. Why? Because they lost the center of their life. Yahweh God was no longer the center. Their paneled houses were the center. The other things were the center of their life. Their stuff was the center of their life. Verse 9, look down there with me. It's interesting. When this happens, you looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, what did God do? I blew it away. I don't know about you, but I'll give you a personal, personal, personal story. That any time my, my physical life, not physical, physical, my financial life is not centered on God in every sense of the word, I never have enough money. I never have enough. And it could be that God literally may be working against me. I bring it home, but He blows it away. How many times does the hot water heater go out? How many times does that, does that, does that car break down again? How many times do you need a new air conditioner unit? And we look at our lives and our finances and they're just not in order. But when I get them in order, then I'll get right with you, God. But all along, we need to get right with God and let Him help us on the other side. Number two. One is that we've got to center our life if we're going to finish the task, and that's one of the reasons we should finish the task. It helps us to center our life. There's so many things that distract us. There's so many things that will detour us. Number two is we finish the task. That will help us to bring worship to God. Now, the beautiful thing in this passage is, is we learn a lot about worship. Worship is not an event that you attend. It's a life that you live. Just mark that down as a life principle. It is not an event that you attend. It's a life that you live. It's not a matter of you uh, coming here on Sunday morning. This is an event, okay? This might help you in your week-long worship, but really, your worship should go all week long. And you're just, you're just bringing your worship here on Sunday morning. Romans 12.1 makes that clear. Present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So if you think by merely coming here on Sunday, singing a few courses with the band is worship, you've only covered about one-tenth of one percent of what worship is. It was what about the 24-7 of your life? That is what worship really is. It is my life of worship. See, what God calls them to do, He didn't call them just go to the temple, just go build a temple. That wasn't the focus of it. The focus is getting your life centered. It was, it was manifested in rebuilding the temple. Also, it's manifested in your worship. My worship should come out of a life that's finishing the task. God's called me to this. I need to finish that. What is it that He has called me to? How am I off center? Look at verse 8. 
Verse 8 says it very clearly. Go up to the hills and bring wood. Go up to the hills and bring wood. Not a big, be a lumberjack for a day. Be a lumberjack for six months. I don't know what it's going to take. Whatever God has called you to do, go up and bring wood. Cut it down and bring it. Why? To build the house. That's what God's called you to do. Maybe it's whatever he's called you to do, go do it. What happens when I live a life of obedience? Notice this. That I, that being the purpose clause, that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. So all of a sudden now I understand what worship is. Worship isn't just an event on Sunday. It happens inside these four walls. It becomes my life of obedience, even if it's going up and chopping wood and bringing it down. I don't know what it is that God has called you to. Maybe God's called you to let up on your schedule to coach your kids' football team so you can pour into your children. What's God called you to? Because whatever He's called you to, whatever, if it's chopping down wood... Go do it because that will bring pleasure to God and that will bring glory to Him. And that is what worship is. It brings us to a lifestyle of worship, a life that brings glory to Him and honor to Him. You know, the, the, thing, the crazy thing about Haggai the prophet and his whole story, and you look at some of the other prophets, you see idolatry, you see Jeremiah, you see Isaiah, you see all these other great prophets, and they're dealing with idolatry, they're dealing with immorality, they're dealing with all this stuff. You know what Haggai's greatest issue that he had to confront the people on? Listen, apathy. Just apathy. They were too busy in their own world doing their own thing on their own agenda that they had failed to worship God. They had failed to center their life on him. Apathy was the greatest issue that he was dealing with with the people of Israel. Listen, I challenge you. I I tell you right now, there'll be somebody hanging out at the Go Center back there. David Mills will be back there at the end of this service. If you want to learn more about how you can be a part of being a part of the Envision element, I want to encourage you to stop by there. Don't let apathy be what keeps you from being a part of what our church is doing. If God's called you here, if God's not called you here, we're not asking you to be a part of this. Okay, That's not it at all. Number three, finishing the task brings peace to all. Brings peace to all. There are four messages in this book, and we're only going to cover barely two of them, if you will. Barely. Four messages in this book. If you look at chapter two and you go there, you'll find he starts talking about the second message. And in this message, he really sees this revival because the people of Israel, they respond to this. They hear what Haggai says, and they respond with a big, hearty yes. We're going to do this. And you can read that in chapter 1, verse verse, uh, 12. But but here, and you look at this passage of Scripture in verse 4 and 5. Go there with me. He says in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. He says, "Now Now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehoshadak the high priest. Be strong, all you people. Hang on to that. Be strong, be strong, be strong. He says, I am with you. I'm with you. Now please look up here for just a second. Here's the realization that you've got to come to. When you do God's will, it doesn't make it easy. In fact, I'll tell you this. If you commit to doing God's will, there will be deep down sacrifice 
there will be life adjustments that you will go through. It, it will be hard. There will be times that you'll need to hear God say, be strong, don't quit. Notice what else he goes on and he says. My spirit, you know, he goes on in verse 5, according to the covenant of my people uh, with you, when, when you came out of, uh, out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. And then he says, fear not. I don't know. Look at that, that, that thing at the top of the page of your notes, that thing that you wrote down, the unfinished task of your life, the calling on God of your life. Why haven't you finished it? See, the people of Israel in chapter 1, verse 12, they start doing what God wants them to do. But in chapter 2, they're already discouraged. They're already discouraged, and, and, and Haggai's have to say, be strong. How many of us stop what God wants us to do because we feel we're too weak? We feel inferior. He had to remind them, hey, I'm with you. How many of us stop what God calls us to do because we feel lonely? We feel alone. We feel like we're blazing a new path and nobody's walking with us. But we stop. How many of us stop? Listen to this one because of fear. See, chapter 2 didn't get easier. In fact, it got a little harder. People had a hard time. But here's what God promised. And here's what God delivered in verse 9. He says, The latter glory of this house, speaking of the, the temple. See, it wasn't going to be as pretty as Solomon's temple. It wasn't going to be as great as Solomon's temple. But, but he says, It's not about the beauty of the building on the outside. It's about what I'm going to do on the inside. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace. In this place, I'm going to give peace. See, whenever we do and finish the task that God has called us to, we experience God at a level that I can't explain to you. That it's a lot easier and cheaper and, 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 and convenient to go the shortcut to put down the commitment, to quit, to throw in the towel, to go for some kind of substitute. And I want to say, whenever you walk with God, you'll experience peace in this place. But throw that verse back up there again, because there's another word that I want you to not miss. This is the latter glory of this house. The word glory is a big word here. The word glory speaks of the density of God. It's a word that's used well over a hundred times in the, in the Old Testament. You don't want to get away from the glory of God. The glory of God is where God is. That's when God is present. You just feel it. the density, the, the, the impact, the, the presence. You can't get away from it. You can't excuse it. You've been in maybe worship services like that. You've experienced God when the glory of God is upon you. The density, the, the presence of God is there. See, whenever I finish the task, what I get to experience is the glory, the density of God. Now, I went by the store today and I bought some fruit. You might see it here. I got fruit Pop-Tarts, strawberry Pop-Tarts, all right? So it must have fruit in it, right? And I've got apples. Anybody want an apple? Anybody? All right, Chris, there you go. <laughs> all right. All right. It's not a grandma apple. You can actually eat this one. This is all okay. But I want you to think about this for a moment. Because I went, I, I'm sorry if you work for Kellogg's. I'm about to diss on your uh, Pop-Tarts. 
I looked at the Pop-Tart thing, and I found that I had to go down 14 items, 14 ingredients before I ever found a fruit element. And even the fruit element says natural and artificial strawberry flavor. I mean, you don't even get to fruit before you have to pass through chemicals. This ought to be illegal to sell under a fruit label. All right? In fact, I'm throwing them away. I'm not offering to throw those out to you. But you know what I get when I bite into one of these babies? 100% apple. 100% fruit. The density of this fruit to this fruit, it's, it's a joke. The density to God's presence versus some substitute religion out there, it's a joke. I want the glory of God on me. I want the glory of God on this church. I want to finish the task that he's called us to. I want, him, I want you to finish the task God's called you to. Would you pray with me? God, in no small way, would you awaken the apathetic, those that are slumbering, Lord, in their in apathy and complacency, those who have been waiting for the perfect, perfect scenario to live out your will. Lord, would you help them to see that you are called them to a great task, change the world, to impact a nation, to to reach a people group, to adopt an orphan, to love on a child in a foster family situation, to start a church, to start a nonprofit, to to be a part of something that's going on around the world, to, to be a part of what you're about, Lord. And any substitute is just cheap faith. Faith. Lord, give us the dense presence of your glory in this place and on our church.